Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Well, we are all faced with an endless amount of big questions in life, aren't we? It starts in elementary school with that famous one, everyone gets asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then it just gets more and more serious because it becomes, what do you actually want to be when you grow up? What activities do you want to participate in? Do you want to go on a date with me? Do you want to go to college? Which college do you want to go to? What do you want to major in? And then if you go to college, you get there and the questions are, do you want to stay at this college or switch to a different college? Do you like the major you chose, or do you want to switch to a different major? And then it gets more serious again, and do you want to go on a date with me becomes, will you marry me? Should I take this job or that job? Should we move to this city or that city or stay here? Should we buy a house? Which house should we buy? Should we start trying to have kids? How many kids should we try and have? And you get to questions that people my age are asking, like, did I make the right career choice? Am I ever going to get married? Or if you're a Christian, maybe the question is, has God called me to a life of singleness? Should I stay home with the kids or keep working? Uh, Here's a big one that we're already talking about almost every day in our house, even though our oldest kid is only two. Should we put our kids in public school, private school, or homeschool? What activities should we put our kids in? Do we need a bigger house, a bigger car? And I know the questions will just keep coming and coming. Jeff's not here this morning, but if he were, he could tell you the type of questions that old guys like him are facing. And, man, <laughs> thank you, Todd. Uh, it's always fun to make fun of Jeff when he's not here. Uh, I'm sure everyone can think of one or two questions like that that you are facing this morning. And yet, what our story in the book of Acts shows us is that no matter who you are in the room this morning, no matter what stage of life you're in, None of the questions that you're facing are as important as this question. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? And what we'll see this morning is that what you believe about who Jesus is and what that means for your life is the single most important question that you can answer. And that's true whether you grew up in church, it's true whether this is your first time in church, it's true whether you're 8 or 80, whether you're single or married, whether you have kids or don't, it's true for whoever you are this morning. Acts 4 shows us why that's the case and what that means for us this morning. So let's jump into Acts and we'll continue our study there. I'm going to read um, Acts 4, 1 through 22. I'll read the whole story up front and then we'll uh, walk, walk through it bit by bit. So read with me Acts 4, 1 through 22. It says, as And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, 
By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today considering a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So if you missed last week, this story today comes on the heels of chapter 3, which is the first miraculous healing in the book of Acts. Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray when they encountered a lame man there. And instead of just moving past him, this man was asking for money, but they, they lock eyes with him. They see this man and they don't give him money, but what they do is they heal him and he leaps to his feet. He enters the temple for the first time in his life. He's praising God and, pray, and all the people begin to gather because this man who was lame is now running around in the temple. And as the crowd gathers around them, Peter opens his mouth and he begins to explain that it wasn't his power that healed this man, it was Jesus's power. Then Peter goes on to explain that it wasn't just Jesus's power that healed this man physically, but actually saved him spiritually and that that salvation is now available to all people. He says that he uses Old Testament scriptures to show them that Jesus is this Messiah that they've been waiting for. And it's a, it was a really powerful story of miraculous healing and of gospel proclamation, uh, not only that this man was healed, but that salvation is now available to all people. And yet what happens next as we get into chapter four is this sharp interruption in the story as the Jewish leaders come in and their response is not like the crowds. It's not hope like the crowds. It's not excitement. It's not acceptance of Jesus. It's not even inquisitiveness, like what, what's happening here? They're not even questioning that. Their response, according to verse 2, is just that they were greatly annoyed. They were annoyed at what Peter was saying about what was taking place, and so they put Peter and John in prison until the next day. So what led up to this arrest? It was Peter and John healing a lame man who could not walk. Now he can walk. They're proclaiming that what Israel has waited for for thousands of years, that the Messiah would come and restore all things. They're saying that has happened in your midst. The Messiah's name is Jesus. And yet the leaders of these people, they don't want to know more. They don't care if it's true. They're just annoyed by the fact that Peter and John are teaching these things. 
Why is that? Why are they annoyed? I think there's several reasons. The first is that they're probably just jealous. Uh, We know from verse 4 that after this man is healed, the number of Christians in the city grows to 5,000 people. So the crowds seem to be more and more drawn to Jesus's followers and less and less drawn to the Jewish leaders. And so they're, they're jealous that this movement is gaining momentum in the city. Another reason they were annoyed was ideological. The Sadducees were part of this group, and the Sadducees didn't believe in a future bodily resurrection for human beings. And so they're annoyed that Jesus' disciples are saying Jesus has been raised from the dead because they didn't believe that that was possible. And then another reason that they were annoyed is likely because they were concerned with their their power. Uh, Everyday Jews living in Rome in the first century were fed up, or living in Jerusalem were fed up with the Romans. They wanted to overthrow Rome and but the Jewish leaders actually had a good relationship with the Romans. They, they had power, and so when all these rebellions would well up in the city, the Jewish leaders wanted to squash them out so that they could keep their power and protect their influence. And so that's likely what they're doing here with Jesus and his followers. But notice what's missing from the list of reasons why they're annoyed. What actually happened? They're not annoyed that a lame man was healed and that Peter and John are proclaiming hope and salvation and that Jesus is the Messiah. They, they don't even appear to consider whether or not that might actually be true. They're just annoyed. They're jealous. They've got different ideological ideas about uh, what, what happens at resurrection. If there is, even is a resurrection, they're concerned with their political power. And so they just get annoyed. They throw Peter and John in jail and they want to move on with their lives. Verses 16 and 17, uh, it says, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it, but in order that it may spread no further, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So that they're willing to admit something's happened here. A lame man is now walking around in the temple. They can't deny it, yet instead of trying to get to the bottom of it, instead of trying to figure out why did this happen, instead of challenging their preconceptions about Jesus and his followers, they just try and brush it aside, put Peter and John in prison, and move on with their lives. And the Jewish leaders in this story are a picture of people who aren't even considering that most important question, what do I believe about Jesus? They just dismiss Jesus out of a matter of convenience and move on with their lives and keep living the way they wanted to. They don't actually ask, what about Jesus? Well, unfortunately, that wasn't just true of the Jewish leaders in the first century. That's still a common problem today. Most people who have rejected Jesus haven't actually dealt with this question, what do I believe about Jesus? They've just simply dismissed Jesus and tried to sweep him aside and move on with their lives. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've dismissed Jesus because You know that Jesus teaches something that you don't like, and so you feel like you could never trust him. Maybe uh, Jesus, most of the Christians you know have different political views than you have, and so you think there's no way Jesus could mean anything significant for me. Maybe you know what Jesus teaches about sexuality and money and about serving others, and so obeying Jesus' teaching would radically challenge your way of life, and so you're not willing to radically challenge your way of life, and so you dismiss Jesus and brush him aside. Whatever your reasons for dismissing Jesus are this morning, if you've dismissed Jesus, I just want to encourage you to make sure you're actually asking the question, what do I believe about Jesus? 
Don't be like the religious leaders here who just brush Jesus aside without even understanding what Peter and John are saying about him. Consider the claims that Jesus makes. Read the scripture. See who Jesus claims to be. Pray and ask God to show you if he's worth trusting. And if you still decide to reject him, we hope that's not your decision, but that's okay. Just don't dismiss him outright. Well, the way that the Jewish leaders do this and just avoid dealing with Jesus is a warning for those of us who don't, those of you who don't consider yourselves Christians, but these men actually serve as a warning for those of us who do consider ourselves Christians as well, because just like you can dismiss Jesus without actually facing who is Jesus, you can also just tag Jesus onto your life without actually facing who is Jesus as well. In the same way that others avoid the question, what do I believe about Jesus, and just dismiss him, it's actually possible to avoid the question, what do I believe about Jesus, and embrace him as well. And in fact, this is, this is really, really common in our context, isn't it? It's really easy to embrace Jesus because he fits the ideology you grew up with, because you've always embraced Jesus, but you don't actually answer this question what do I really believe about Jesus? And I think the actions of the Jewish leaders here in Acts 4 are are so challenging for us because they're clearly held up as this negative example of people who just made assumptions about Jesus and dismissed him and then went on living their lives as if they had never even heard about Jesus. And whether you attend church every week, every once in a while, or Whether you've never attended church before, it's so easy for us to do the exact same thing. And on the one hand, either assume Jesus is an inconvenience to be avoided, or on the other hand, just assume Jesus has some nice ideas to be embraced. But neither of those paths actually deals with who Jesus is and what he means for your life. Thankfully, though, in this story, Peter does his best to shake the Jewish leaders out of that mindset. And I think he does, by extension, is doing his best to shake us out of that mindset as well with where Peter goes next. So it was evening when they arrested Peter and John. So they they keep them in prison overnight and they wait until the next morning to speak to them. And then they, when they bring Peter and John before them, they ask them, by what power or by what name did you heal this man? And just like in chapter 3, where Peter doesn't hold back, he comes out and he starts out by saying, uh, kind of sarcastically, he says, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and I say that sarcastic because Peter's really saying something like, come on, we know we're not just here because of a good deed done to a crippled man. We know you want to know why we're speaking about Jesus. And there's also some uh, foreshadowing and, and drama and irony building here in the story that is not evident in English, because when Peter says, uh, by what means this man has been healed in verse 9, he actually uses a different word than the normal word for physical healing in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, the normal word for physical healing is therapuo. You can probably hear our English word therapy in there. That's what uh, Luke in verse 14, he says, this is the man who was healed. He uses that word therapio. But here when Peter in verse 9 says, you want to know by what means this man has been healed, he actually uses the word sozo, which is the word for salvation. 
And this word sozo does have a range of meaning that includes physical healing, but much more commonly in the New Testament, sozo is used to refer to salvation, and therapeuo is used to refer to physical healing. And so Peter's kind of building some drama here as he's saying, you want to know by what means this man has been healed, but he's also kind of hinting at the fact that this is about a lot more than physical healing. This healing, as we saw in chapter 3, is actually a sign that the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures is here, that the Messiah has come, and that this isn't about one man, one crippled man being healed. It's about his salvation, and by extension, it's about the hope of salvation for all of God's people. And then Peter just comes right out and says it, starting in verse 10. He says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter basically repeats his message uh, that he gave to the crowd in chapter 3, this time giving to the most influential people in his world and saying that it's not only the name of Jesus that physically healed this lame man, it's also the name of Jesus that makes salvation available to all people and that it's available to you this morning. And I think it's important to realize what, what Peter means when he uses this word salvation. Because for us, we, we've just grown up with this word. And so we think of salvation as we say a prayer, we ask Jesus into our heart, and we go to heaven when we die. And forgiveness of sins, eternal life with God is certainly a core aspect of salvation. Peter said that in chapter 3. He said, repent and turn back that your sins may be forgiven. But in chapter 3, Peter also grounded this salvation that Jesus brings in all of the Old Testament scriptures. He said Jesus was the promised holy one from Isaiah. Jesus is the prophet like Moses foretold in Deuteronomy. Jesus is the blessing for the whole world that was promised all the way back in the book of Genesis. So what Peter's doing is saying that this salvation is not just a get out of hell free card like we often think about it, but salvation is what was described and promised and hoped for all over the Old Testament. And it did include forgiveness of sins, but it was about more than that. It was about the restoration of everything that was broken in the world. A great chapter in the Old Testament that beautifully describes uh, much of the aspects of salvation is Isaiah 35. In Isaiah 35, we referenced that last week because one of the things that it says will happen when salvation comes to God's people is that lame men shall leap like deer. And that's what happened here in Acts. A lame man who had been lame from birth was 40 years old, and he's leaping like a deer. And so we said last week that, it's a, that this healing is a sign, it's a fulfillment that, that salvation is now available. But Isaiah 35 describes many aspects of salvation, not just lame men being healed. And so I want to read that whole chapter for us this morning, because I think it, it just gives us such a full picture of what Peter is talking about when he says salvation is available to you in Jesus. And I'm going to read uh, from the message paraphrase because I love how it brings these descriptive phrases to life. And we'll have it um, up here on the screen behind me. So Isaiah 35, Isaiah is prophesying about the coming salvation that the Messiah will bring. And he says, this is what it will be like. Wilderness and desert will sing joyously. The badlands will celebrate and flower. 
like the crocus in spring bursting into blossom, a symphony of song and color. Mountain glories of Lebanon, a gift, awesome caramel, stunning Sharon, gifts. God's resplendent glory will be fully on display. God awesome, God majestic. So energize the limp hands, strengthen the rubbery knees, tell anxious souls, courage, take heart. God is here, right here, on his way to put things right and make right all wrongs. He's on his way. He'll save you. Blind eyes will be opened, deaf ears unstopped. Lame men and women will leap like deer. The voiceless break into song. Springs of water will burst out in the wilderness. Streams flow in the desert. Hot sands will become a cool oasis, thirsty ground, a splashing fountain. Even lowly jackals will have water to drink, and barren grasslands flourish richly. There will be a highway called the Holy Road. No rude or rebellious is permitted on this road. It's for God's people exclusively. Impossible to get lost on this road. Not even fools can get lost on it. No lions on this road. No dangerous wild animals. Nothing and no one dangerous or threatening. Only the redeemed will walk on it. The people God has ransomed will come back on this road. They'll sing as they make their way home to Zion unfading halos of joy encircling their heads, welcomed home with gifts of joy and gladness as all sorrows and sighs scurry into the night. So what is this salvation that Peter says is available in Jesus according to the Old Testament? Well, it's, it's forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God, but it's also the physical restoration of the earth, the elimination of natural disaster. It's peace for those who are anxious. It's physical healing for the blind, the lame, and the deaf. It's justice for every wrong ever committed. It's the end of all bad things that have happened and will happen and the threat of bad things happening. It's clearly seeing the glory and majesty of the God who created all things, and it's being welcomed into his presence and his family no matter who you are and what you've done. I love how the message ends that that chapter, saying salvation is like being welcomed home with gifts of joy and gladness as all sorrows and sighs scurry into the night. So what Isaiah 35 shows us is that the salvation that Jesus brings is not simply a get-out-of-hell free card, but that the salvation that Israel was longing for and that Jesus brings to us is essentially the meeting of the longing of every human heart. It's the restoring of everything that's broken in the world. Do you long for a world without hurricanes and hunger? Do you long for peace from the constant anxiety that you feel? Do you long for physical healing for your body or for the body of a a family member or loved one? Do you long for the restoration of a relationship that's been broken? Do you Long for justice for every wrong ever committed against you and against vulnerable people in our world. Do you long to see a loved one again who's passed away? Do you long for rest that lasts longer than a few hours on a Saturday each week? Do you long to fill that spiritual, eternal longing deep in your soul? Biblical salvation is so much more than just going to heaven when we die. It's the restoration of everything in creation to its rightful state. And Peter just got up in front of these Jewish leaders and said, all of that is available to you right now, but it's only available in Jesus. 
The religious leaders assumed that Jesus was just another zealot who was dangerous and that they needed to just get rid of him and move on with their lives. So Peter gets up and says, everything that you've ever wanted is available to you right now in part and in fullness when Jesus returns, but it's only available in him and you dismissed him and you killed him. What, what Jesus preached, what Peter and John are preaching, what we preach as a church is not just a bunch of rules to follow. It's not a political agenda. It's not a, a path to perfect happiness in the world. And it's not simply a get out of hell free card. It's the total restoration of everything broken in your heart and in, the, in this world. It's what every single human being wants and needs. And it is available to us. But it's only through Jesus that it's available. What that means is that being a good person doesn't lead to salvation. Simply believing in God doesn't lead to salvation. Other religions don't lead there. And God isn't just going to let everybody experience salvation one day. The message of Jesus is, is incredibly exclusive and inclusive at the same time. It's incredibly exclusive because the message of Jesus is the only way to salvation is through Jesus. There's no other way. But it's also inclusive because it says everyone is invited. No matter who you are, what you look like, or what you've done, you're invited to receive it. Now do you see why this question, what do I believe about Jesus, is the single most important question you can answer in your life? Maybe Jesus was crazy, and none of this is true, but if it is true, it's the greatest gift in the history of the world, and it is available to you and to me. And so, Simply dismissing Jesus or simply adding him on as another good thing as part of my life, neither one of those options makes any sense. Indifference towards Jesus just is not an option for us. Each of us ought to decide what do we believe about Jesus. Because if it's true, everything you've ever wanted is available to you. And deciding whether or not that's true, whether or not you accept it or reject it, is by far the single most important decision you can make in your life. And as the, the story continues here, we see that trusting Jesus for salvation changes everything about a person. So as Peter finishes speaking, Luke says that when the leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the leaders knew Peter and John were uneducated common men. They were fishermen. They were illiterate. They had no business standing in front of the most powerful men in their world and speaking about religious matters. And yet, Luke says, they were able to do this, and the, the leaders said it was because they had been with Jesus. They knew these guys had been with Jesus, and it had changed them. How were they speaking in this way? Peter and John went from simple fishermen who... In the Gospels, we see them struggling to catch enough fish just to survive and to now proclaiming God's plan of salvation to the most powerful and influential people that they knew. And when Peter and John were told to stop by these men who had just killed Jesus a couple months earlier, they say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John couldn't not speak about this salvation that they had received in Jesus. 
They knew that the salvation of the world was here in part now and would come again and would come in fullness when Jesus returns. And the only natural response for them was to go invite others to partake of it. It's a common thing in our world today for people to say that religion, religion is fine for you if you keep it as a subjective personal thing that makes your life better, but religion becomes bad when you try and convert other people to it. And, but what Peter and John are doing here is not trying to convert someone to their way of life. They're just simply saying, we've received everything we have ever wanted in Jesus, and we cannot not tell you about it. It makes no sense to say the greatest gift in the world is good for you, but don't you dare try and tell me about it. Uh, Penn Gillette, who is uh, part of the famous magician duo Penn and Teller, he's a staunch atheist, but Penn shared this story on, online a couple years ago. He recorded this video to post it online because of this encounter stood out to him so much. And uh, it, it was about a man who came up to Penn after one of their comedy routines, and uh, this man knew that Penn was an atheist, and so he complimented him on his show, but then he went on to share the gospel with him and give him a Bible. And you might think that, that Penn thought this man was crazy and, and recorded this video to, to just rail on this guy, but listen to what Penn said about this encounter. I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you. And this is more important than that. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite, honest, and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a Bible. And that's a convicting story, but I don't share that story to try and guilt us into sharing the gospel more. I wanted to share that story because I think it's such a, a strikingly honest admission from a staunch atheist like this guy that if Jesus is who he says he is, then what you believe about him is the single most important question you can answer in your life. It's far more important, as, as Penn, an atheist, said, than getting hit by a truck, to know whether or not this is true. And if Jesus is Lord, it doesn't make life easy. Peter and John got arrested in this story, after all. It's not going to be the last time. In fact, history tells us that Peter was beheaded for his faith. John was exiled to live on an island for the rest of his life. But what, what did Peter and John do in response to the opposition they faced here? In the rest of chapter 4, they go back to the church and they continue what they've already been doing, as we've seen in the book of Acts. They pray boldly for the mission to continue. They live in close community with other believers and support and encourage and care for one another. Peter and John knew that they had everything they could ever want in Jesus. And so sacrificially serving others with their possessions was, was fine because if they lost their possessions, it didn't matter. They had Jesus continuing to preach the gospel, even if it meant arrest and death, was fine because it didn't matter. They had Jesus. Living out this gospel and sharing it with others was a natural response for Peter and John. So what do we do with this story? Well, if you're here this morning, and as we've been talking, you realize that you haven't really ever answered that question, what do I believe about Jesus, then 
today is the day I would just challenge you to begin answering that question. Whether you've dismissed Jesus because you disagree with him or because you don't want to change your lifestyle, or on the other hand, you've just assumed Jesus because it's how you've grown up, I just challenge you not to be indifferent towards Jesus, but answer that question for yourself. What do I believe about him? What the Bible teaches us is that Jesus offers the single greatest gift in the world, and so we ought to decide for ourselves whether or not that's true and whether or not we should make him Lord of our life. For those of us who do believe that Jesus is Lord and have trusted in him, this passage ought to encourage us. Because life is hard. There are so many difficult questions that we face on a daily basis, but the good news for us is that we've already answered the most difficult one. We've already received in Jesus everything that we could ever want and hope for. And yes, we only experience that in part now, and life is still difficult, but we also have hope that we will experience it in full one day. We have the hope of Isaiah 35 as it ended there, that one day we'll be welcomed home with gifts of joy and gladness as all sighs and sorrows scurry into the night. That's our hope That's our future for those of us who have trusted in Christ. It's the meeting of every longing of our hearts. And so uh, we receive that as encouragement, and we trust him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us in the brokenness of this world and in our broken selves, but that you've made a way through Jesus to put, put all things right. Father, I pray that you'd help us be encouraged this morning and enjoy the benefits of our salvation here and now, that that would bring us joy in life and that you'd also help teach us what it means to long for future salvation that's coming for for your people. God, if there's anyone here today who hasn't yet trusted in Jesus for salvation, I pray that you would uh, open their eyes and their hearts to receive him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.